0: Hello, friends, and welcome. I'm your co host, Andrew Lazaga here with Dubside. And you're listening to the Dubcast with Dubside. So, Dubside, what did you think of the interview with Warren?
1: Yeah, I listened to that just recently. Yeah, I, I was very, very enlightening. I had. So, he said, I got in 10 minutes in Deception Pass, I, I had the equivalent of his three years there or something like that. Yeah. He, he's being awfully generous <laughs> I, I, I remember that I, I, I pulled that out of my my log book this mm-hmm. morning and okay looked at it this was, this is July July 23rd of 2005 and so yeah we, we went out there and he it was an outgoing current it was, it was a pretty strong current you know as, as strong as as deception pass gets and we were over where the where the whirlpools are on the far side. What impressed me is he, he knew exactly, you know, all the little spots. He says, okay, right here, we have to paddle straight across as fast as you can. And then if you get to there, we can go back up. If you miss that, we have to, you know, you can't get around that. It's a point of no return. And so like, we, we tried to get across. We tried doing that, and we, we missed it. So we had to go around to canoe pass, on the you know, around the island to the other side. And then you're you're zigzagging up there. You know, the currents so strong. So some side, you, you go on the left side to get up, and then you cross over to the right side. You drift back some, I and you go farther up. If you miss it, you have to come back around in a circle until so you can get across. And you, know, you you can wait a couple hours for the, the current to die down. Yeah. But otherwise, to, to get in there, so he knew all that little stuff, and it was it was kind of kind of rough on the kayaks because you the, the closer you stay to the to the rocks, the, the the slower the current is. But the rocks are all covered with like nasty barnacles and stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're so big it, barnacles.
1: It, it, it'll chew up. Yeah. The the big huge shell thing. So it'll chew up the end of your kayak. And I think my. My, it was a feathercraft whisper back then, and I took some real slashes on the on the back of the skin. Oh on no! <laughs> it. I, I I later replaced that skin, but I remember he he was taking duct tape and putting like a big huge end on on his both ends of his kayak, because because you're you're gonna hit that against the rocks and try to make those tight turns, and I remember not really being all that intimidated. Yeah, I mean, if you got a solid roll, you know, you, there's not that much to worry about you know it, it, like you said it's not it's not those huge whirlpools that suck you down and keep you down there and take boats and stuff they dissipate pretty quickly so it's it's you know it's not that dangerous in that regard and actually if, if you tipped over and had to come out of your kayak you'd wash out you know a mile down and out of the bay or something like that but yeah. with a roll it's like i i wasn't apprehensive about that at all it was no no big deal
0: yeah it's actually those rocks that scare me yeah i remember when he got a big gash on the uh stern of his kayak like six inches long, and he ended up uh, sewing it up and putting some aqua seal on it, and it was and it was good.
1: Yeah. Well, so according to my logbook here, the next day we went out there, the Sunday, the twenty fourth. We were looking to where to shoot the rope video stuff initially. That day, the Sunday, the twenty fourth, you were there. Yeah. That's the first <laughs> time I met you. You remember that?
0: Yeah, I remember. Tom had sent out an email, uh, just inviting people. You know, to hang out at Deception Pass, okay. and I decided to show up. So uh, he had his camera out with his uh, Merlin gimbal, and which yeah. was a brand new thing at the time. Mm-hmm. You guys were actually shooting some of the ropes uh, moves there. Yeah,
1: yeah, we were starting on that. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. and and uh, didn't Brian Schultz show up?
1: Yeah, I have, I have Brian and Jackie. Now, I don't remember who Jackie is.
0: I think Jackie was his girlfriend at the time. She did a lot of photography. Okay. Yeah, cool times. Warren didn't mention this in the interview, but he also worked with um John Lockwood of Pygmy kayaks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, John Lockwood's daughter, Freya, yeah, Freya. we went to Greenland and with the Freya, the kayak that yeah. John Lockwood designed for her. That was just this amazing rolling kayak. Warren taught her how to roll. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Deception Pass. <laughs> oh. <laughs> cool. So she yeah. picked it up, obviously, pretty easily. Yeah.
1: Um, my latest big, big cool thing. I, I i managed to locate a guy in Washington, D.C. who speaks fluent Greenlandic. He is the top diplomat working at the Danish embassy in charge of all the Greenland stuff. Wow. He was over here at my brother's house for dinner, brought his wife and his daughter and his his office intern. And we hit it off like you wouldn't believe. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> he he was he couldn't believe that he's here in, in Virginia talking to someone who's been to his hometown several times, who knows people in Greenland that he knows, who's up on Greenland history and Greenland culture. <laughs> <Like he's> just, <laughs> the only thing I couldn't do was speak Greenlandic to him, not not in full sentences, but wow. he was he was quite impressed. So I'm I'm going. I got the the, the week after Thanksgiving, I'll go meet him at the embassy there for an hour and interview him for the podcast.
0: Wow. You know, he'll, fantastic. This Interview
1: with him. And, and he said, oh, yeah, you, you, you probably want to interview my wife and my daughter and everybody else. And then you have to come over to my house sometime. Oh, he's, he's totally, totally hooked up because on the diplomatic angle, he, he's if there's like a security concern with what Russia might be doing, he has to talk to the people in the Pentagon about it because he's Mr. Greenland in the USA. And then for cultural stuff, you know, they're showing some film or something like that. He's he's on top of that. Trade issues, you know, the the seafood importation and exportation, all that stuff. He's he's on he knows all that stuff. So I I can get from him the full up to date story of how Greenland is about to become a country and what the process is there and what what stages are at and all that stuff. He's on top of all that stuff. So it's quite a wealth of information. So I'm 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 hoping and it's probably very likely he'll be coming to Del next year to, to see all what's going on there. And he like he said his his kids they've kayaked, but I don't think they've done traditional kayaking and. He hasn't really talked it, but his wife, his wife owns a couple fiberglass kayaks in Cockatuck in Greenland that's for the tourists to rent out. <laughs> <Right there. laughs> uh, cool. it, it's quite a good network there. So I'll, I'll have more to say about that in upcoming episodes. Yes. So I'm just hoping to plug him into the whole kayak USA thing. and We can awesome. have a mutual benefit. Yeah. So it's
0: exciting stuff. Okay. Well, great.
1: Well on, on a on a totally non kayak topic, we have episode number forty nine here <laughs> coming right up. Welcome to the dubcast with dubside. This is dubcast number forty nine. The Fine Print. And this episode, like the one I did recently about what I eat for breakfast, is not an exclusively kayak-related subject, but I'm branching out. Also in the music department, I have another song by Nanook, my favorite Greenlandic band. When I was a very small child, I recall one situation where my father had to sign some piece of paper or something. And he looked at it very carefully before he put his name on the bottom. And I came away with the notion that you have to be very careful what you sign and you have to pay a lot of attention to what it says before you put your name on the bottom. And there's another idea that I didn't pick up on at a very young age, but it is exemplified in the movie Hotel Rwanda. Even in the midst of genocidal violence, the main character at this hotel, Paul Rusesabagina takes the approach that everything is negotiable. No matter what kind of demands or threats people make, you can always call into question some things and set some terms and make a deal, or at least try to. I will note that the Hollywood accuracy of Paul Abagana's life has been called into question, and his uh, life story has had some positive and negative chapters since the movie came out. There's still a bit of controversy. Rwanda is a very volatile place, but I'll let you look that up yourself. Well, these two concepts of reading the fine print and negotiating, I want to tell you how I applied them in some of my experiences. Well, attempting to make a living as a kayak instructor... I did not have enough money for things like health insurance until the passage of the Affordable Care Act. And after that went into effect, I qualified for being covered under Medicaid. As we'll see, there's a whole lot of bureaucracy involved here. There's the Medicaid folks, the state uh, insurance coverage, bureaucracy, whatever. There's the actual insurer and there's then the local doctor office place and a lot of forms to fill out now as a matter of general practice people normally just put their name at the bottom and don't read through all the stuff, it would take so long and the receptionists in these offices of these places generally expect people to not take very long to fill out the forms but I found what you'd call some wiggle room here, there is no legal standard for minimum reading speed. So they can't set any limit on how long you want to take to read something. If it takes you an hour to get to the first page, they have to accommodate you. I've gone in for a doctor's checkup and haven't gotten through all the forms, and they've told me to come on in and they'll do the checkup, and then you fill out the the rest of the paperwork later which puts me in a very superior negotiating position because they've already delivered their service before I've agreed to anything. And trying to find a dentist, I was at this one office, going through their paperwork, and there's just typos left and right, You know, things misspelled, phrases missing, punctuation wrong. And so I, I had more than a dozen typographical errors. After about 20 or 30 minutes of me sitting there, they sent out the office manager to ask me what the problem was. And I picked one typo. It was a grammatical thing. And I explained, you know, I don't understand the sentence here. And it became apparent that this office manager, English was not her first language. Subtleties of English grammar were over her head. But I resolved that issue by walking out of that office. I figured if they're sloppy enough to have that many typos in their paperwork, how sloppy are they going to be when they get in my mouth working on my teeth? Well, here's an interesting loophole. Most people don't read all the fine print. And that includes not just the person signing the form, but the person who gives you the form to sign. Not only haven't they read it, they don't look at it after you give it back to them. Which means that if you've crossed something out or modified it, they often don't notice that. At the second dentist I was at, I object to that phrase where it says in there, I accept full responsibility for the payment of this bill regardless of the insurance status. So if the insurance doesn't cover it, you're saying that you're the person they can come after for the money. And I object that that's signing a blank check. It doesn't say how much it is. It's just an open amount that you're indicating you'll be responsible for. Well, When I raised this issue at this one dentist office, the, the dentist himself was out and he said that, he said, yeah, if, if it's under Medicaid, that, that, that covers it all. I said, okay. So he went back into the, to work on somebody and I filled out the rest of the form and I wrote at the bottom of it before my signature. I said, you know, I understand that Medicaid will pay all the costs and then I stacked up the paper and gave that back to the receptionist and she put it in the folder and probably didn't look at it so if there's a problem down the road I can have them pull out that form and says no I didn't agree to paying anything It says right there that's my understanding that the Medicaid will pay it all all right so here is probably my finest moment so far anyway I was told by my doctor to get a colonoscopy and that of course means a whole nother set of forms and another place to go and a bunch more bureaucracy. So I found a place that took my insurance and went in in and the first appointment they gave me some forms and they gave me the rundown on the procedure and they gave me the prescription for the stuff you have to drink to clean out your intestines. So I got through the forms, they weren't too bad, figured maybe this... Maybe this will this will not be a problem. So the second appointment after I, I drank the stuff that oh that stuff tastes awful after you <laughs> after the first half a gallon oh the second part is but anyway so I was all prepared you know I had not eaten any food for the whole day or two before and the, I go in there and they got a whole bunch more forms to sign so I sit down with them and start going through and I'm making little notes about, you know, well, it it's says that they've given me some statement about the risk, risks involved in this procedure. I don't have that. It's something about the privacy information. I don't have that. Um, it says I've been advised if there's any financial interest that the personnel have in the business or something, you know, conflict of interest, something like that. I said, oh, they, nobody told me about that. Um, and then, then, of course, the cost, being responsible for the cost if the insurance doesn't cover it, I'm not interested in that. So, Time is going by and they're, they're saying, All right, sir, sir, you know, they're, they're, they, they, can't, they can't put a limit on how long it takes you to read something, but they can certainly uh, try to rush you along and ask you what the problem is. So I I, I tell them, look, you haven't pr- provided this information about the risks involved and this and that. So they they, they bring, bring out some more forms, you know, the, the privacy statement thing. And so I, I, I look through that. And then the time is running out for them anyway. So they, they bring me into the back back of the room out out of the, the regular waiting room and i've got the office manager standing to the right of me and the actual doctor who's going to perform the, the procedure on the other on the left of me and i am showing him on the form well how about this you know financial interest in the in the, the business operation so that the doctor himself says okay yeah i i have part um I'm, I'm part invested in this this operation here, and um, so yeah, we. It's very. He's got this excuse of you know it's very expensive equipment, and so it's the only way we can afford it is to have some. So I, I said, okay, you covered that. Then we have this issue of being responsible for the cost, and and he says, well, it's 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 very unlikely that the insurance wouldn't cover this this particular a colonoscopy, um, and if 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 they wouldn't cover some of it, it's probably just a small amount. I said, well what's a small amount? <laughs> you know, he, he, if he's a doctor, I, I imagine he's making a lot more money than I am. So his standard of a small amount is probably a lot different. So he, he, he wouldn't put a dollar figure on it. And so, and, and I said, look, I am not willing to sign off on being responsible for the cost of this. That's just not, it's not going to go. And so he he looks over at the, at the office manager and he says, well, if we let him cross that part out before he signs it, what does that mean? And she says, well, that means that, that you pay if the insurance doesn't. And he kind of sighs and goes, all right. And he lets me cross that part out. Because if he was part owner of the, the business there, that meant that if I walked away, he would lose money. They're all set up. You know, this is an elaborate procedure. There's multiple personnel, and they're all all expecting to to be able to make some money for this the next half hour or so from the insurance company. And if I walk out the door, they don't get that. So he had to he had to blink first before I did. So he crossed that part out. So I, I get in there on the on the table ready to go, and then they've got the anesthesiologist comes out with a form and a pen in his hand, and I just gave him a look. And I think they had tipped him off, so he knew, and and he he just puts paper down, and I didn't have to sign that. So I negotiated, and I got it acceptable on my terms. Worked out pretty well. Well, sometime after that, my primary care doctor told me I should get checked out by a dermatologist. And maybe me telling you these things makes it sound like I'm in there negotiating, and having a good time, but I I just dread, you know, another office receptionist, office manager, set of forms to fill out. Oh, it's what a nightmare. So I I find a dermatology place that takes my insurance. And by now, I try to get to these appointments a half an hour early to give me extra time to read the forms. And if it becomes an issue later, I say, that's why I came in early, because I take more time to read these all this paperwork. Well, the typos aren't too bad, minimal, but it does say that I've been provided with the, it's, I think it's It's called the HIPAA, Health Information Portability and Accountability Act. It's, it's the privacy stuff. So when it finally, the, the receptionist is, calls me and says, well, you know, have you got the paperwork ready? I said, well, I haven't got this, this form, you know, that says this HIPAA stuff. And so... She doesn't have any, and her coworker has one copy, so they make a copy of it there, which tells me how many people have asked for this, which says that in every form it says everybody signs that they've been given that, but apparently nobody has. So I take that and sit down again um, and read through it. And it says in there, and I quote, our practice will post a copy of our current notice in our office in a visible location at all times. This is, I would imagine, what the law requires them to, to put in, the, in these forms. So I, I told the, the office worker, that I said, you, you haven't done that. It says here that you've you posted on the wall somewhere. And so she points to the corner and say, well, that, that frame thing over there. I said, no, that's your anti-discrimination policy. Nice try. You don't have this thing here. So they call the office manager, who's not in that day. So they've got there's two people at the front desk, and they've got the office manager on the phone, and they're they're making all these excuses. That, she, that finally the, the office manager says, "Well, we don't we don't have it posted, but we that's we give you a copy instead." And I said, "Well, that's fine, but it says right here in the paperwork, our office will post a copy. You know, and you haven't done that." And she she says, "Well." It's on the, on, the, on the speaker phone. The office manager says, Well, if you need more time to fill out the forms, you know, we'll have to reschedule because we, the, the 15 minute slot for you to, you know, that's already passed and we're running out of time here. I said, Look, I'm, I'm not, I don't need more time. I'm ready. But you just have to meet the conditions that it says in the form before I sign it. And they hem and haw some more. So finally, I just said, Sounds like I should be going somewhere else. You lose. And turned around and walked out. And just to do some research, I found out later that the the Health and Human Services Department of the U.S. government, which is all this stuff is required under, has a procedure where you can report somebody for if they are violating the, the, the law. And the minimum fine is $127. And it goes up to many thousands if they really mess something up. So I could have gone back. To, I could have Filed, you know, filed a complaint, and then over time it might have cost them $127, but I didn't bother to do that. I found another dermatologist, so I made an appointment and went in. And this place, on their counter at the front desk, they had a little box with copies of their HIPAA statement, policy, whatever thing. So they they've got that that base covered. And so they they get my name, and I had identification and insurance card, etc. And then they hand me a you know a tablet, electronic pad thing, with a little stylus pen to to, to sign. You know, it's it's all electronic, so you I can't cross anything out. Um, and I and I'm sure everybody just grabs that, scrolls all the way to the bottom, signs their name, and hands it back to them. I said I can't use this, you got, you got to print this out for me. And then they 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 one person asks, the other person behind the desk, and they hem and haul a little bit. And they, they, they print it out. It's like, you know, seven or eight pages, and they hand me that. So I go sit down and start going through that. So the, the typos are okay, and the, pretty much the only problem is the accepting financial responsibility for the payment of the bill, no matter what the insurance is, which in, it appears four or five times in all the, the paperwork that I'm, I'm filling out. So I, I go back to the, the, the front desk after some amount of time, and I said to the person, look, I, 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 I can't sign a blank check here. It doesn't say how much this, this might be. And if it's going to be a million dollars, I don't have a million dollars. And so she's joking. She says, I don't have a million dollars either. I says, well, you know, I, I can't sign it this way. So they say this is the typical, you know, well, we have to go to the office manager. So the office manager's name is Leslie, but she's not in. So they, they just dump it off on me that way. Oh, you have to go, you have to talk to her. So I go back home and call up. It took me a week or so to get in touch with Leslie because I guess she was on vacation or something like that. So I explained to her the situation. You know, I can't accept uh, responsibility for the payment. I don't want to do that. So she says, she she checks into what I, my stuff, and she says, oh, you're, you're covered under Medicaid. So she, apparently she used to work in a law office and knows, as a matter of fact, that they can't force you to pay under Medicaid. The, the insurance company can't force a Medicaid person. So somehow they, they would get reimbursed through the government, through the Medicaid, some, something like that. So she said, yeah, you don't, you don't really have to sign that. I said, all right, that's cool. We'll, we'll make a new appointment. So I next week, scheduled a day to come in. And so that week I showed up, might have been a different receptionist. I don't know. It was a busy office. So they hand me the tablet. I said, no, no, I've been through that. And I show them, here are the forms I had printed out last time. And I've got an issue with where it says to accept responsibility for the payment. Um, but I talked to the office manager, Leslie. So I should explain here, as as you could probably imagine, that the all these dentists and doctors and everybody, they, they consult with lawyers. And the lawyers tell them, you know, to cover yourself for liability. You, you, here's all the legal east that we're going to write out for you. Make them sign this form. Nobody goes through anything unless they sign this form. You know, you turn them away if they don't sign the form because otherwise you're not, you know, all the liability is, comes into play. So they must sign the form. And that's drilled into every receptionist's brain. So they say, well, the office manager, she's not in today. I say, well, why don't you call her on the phone right now? So they they go back in their back room there on the, with their phone and they come out and their jaws are just dropping because she told them he doesn't have to sign the form and they have never seen this before. And they're they're holding the form with their fingers shaking like, he's not going to sign the form and we're going to let him come in. <laughs> they can't believe it. Now, in all the paperwork, I did sign the part that said I've I agreed to a $50 charge if I'm late for the appointment and the one I've been given for the privacy stuff. But all the stuff about accepting responsibility for the payment, I did not have to sign any of that. And I went in and saw the dermatologist, and it all worked out like that because I negotiated and I read the fine print. Well, my final story involves banking. And I had a bank account a long time ago but it didn't have a local branch where I'm at now. And in trying to get a local bank account, I found a while back that they wanted proof of residency. And that would be either a utility bill in your name or the ownership of a place or a lease agreement. And I didn't have any of those things. I was traveling about half the year. I was staying with my brother when I wasn't traveling. I didn't have any bills in my name. So I couldn't get a bank account. Well, more recently, I was trying to transfer some cash, and I needed a cashier's check. And they said that you have to have an account in the bank to get a cashier's check. Well, where I'm at, there are these new banks that have sprung up all over the place called Truist, which I think is some amalgamation of some other form of banks and restructuring. So at the Truist Bank, they told me, All we need is a letter with your address on it. Well, I can get that. That's not a problem. Well, it was actually the day I went to that second dermatologist. I brought with me, I had a letter from the IRS, that's official, and my ID and my social security number, etc. So after the dermatologist appointment, I found a Truist Bank nearby I went in there and said to the guy you know, one of the little side desks over there is a little office thing. Um, said, you know, what's involved in opening an account? So he said, gave me the rundown, and I showed him I had this letter from the IRS. He said, yeah, that'll work. And I had identification, I had social security number, I had a phone number. and I told him I didn't do email, but he said that that we could still work with that. So I had to sort through the various, you know, the checking account, savings account, and different conditions on different things. And this one, you have to have a minimum balance. And this one, you can't withdraw more than six times every month or two or something like that, which isn't a problem for me because I'm not taking out money that often. So we we, we get the the one thing. And I think that it had, they were going to charge me $2 every month because I didn't have email. And they have to send you the form, which you know, it's kind of annoying, but they... They would much rather people just stop with the mail thing so they can use it electronically, but I don't play that. So he's got, he's types in all my information in in his computer and then it comes out with this form, you know, one page form, it's got printed my name and identification stuff on the top and then a couple paragraphs and things and then sign at the bottom. But of course, I'm gonna read the whole thing very carefully, just like the example I got from my father well, in about the second or third paragraph, it said, I've seen and agreed to the terms and conditions and have also been provided with the interest rate schedule or something like that. So I said to the guy, well, I haven't seen these these things here. You haven't given me that. So he says, oh, uh, that, that, that'll print out. You know, once I get this all plugged in, you know, you sign it, plug it in, then it'll just it'll just, those things will come out. So I was on the verge of signing it took my pen out of my pocket. I like to bring my own pen for these things. But something just had me pause. And then I looked at him, I said, can you print it out first? So he turns over to his computer, types a few things in. Well, it was 43 pages. Fortunately, his printer was fairly rapid So he gets them all. He tries to find a stapler in his desk to put them, staple together. He hands me 43 pages. Title page, two pages of table of contents, and the rest is small font, single-spaced. And I'm going to read the whole thing before I sign anything. So I look at my watch because this is going to take a good part of the afternoon. Hadn't planned on that. So, I start in on it, and the first couple pages, it talks about arbitration, and in signing it, I am agreeing that all disputes will be settled by binding arbitration. Now, I happen to know that that is not nearly as fair as it sounds. The people who are the arbitrators are generally white males, and I'll have a lot less to do with selecting which one than the bank will, if there's an issue. So that was a little, maybe not a red flag, maybe a yellow flag, maybe just a warning. But I mean, it wouldn't stop me from signing up, but it's just not too cool. So then I get the the next thing talks about class action suits. And it says very clearly and repeatedly that no class action suits will be used to resolve any dispute. I'm, I'm waiving the right to participate in any class action suit against Truist Bank. Well, I didn't like that. I mean, what are they afraid of? They can't handle a class action suit? Hmm. And with 35 more pages to go, I reached out onto the desk and picked up my pen and put it back in my pocket. And the guy notices that and says, so what do you think? I said, no deal. And I told him that I wasn't too comfortable waving the right to any class action suit. And I said, look, 43 pages for a bank account? I mean, come on, that's ridiculous. I haven't got time to sit here and read through all that. So I handed him back his 43 pages, and he actually thanked me for reading them, the the little bit that I did read of them, because I bet he had never looked at it and had no idea about the class action suit, and he was quite sympathetic to me. He understood my position, and I walked out. And those are some of my experiences reading the fine print and negotiating. And looking back on it, you know what I think I'm going to do next time, that thing about charging you if you miss an appointment, a $50 fee. I mean, I can understand that they're hurting if if you don't show up. You know, time is money. But what if I show up and they're not ready for me? Whether if they've got a power failure or the doctor got injured or For some reason, they can't go through with my appointment, but I've shown up for them. I think they should give me $50 for my trouble. So maybe next time, I'll throw that into my negotiations. Okay, for the musical segment, I got my studio rewired here. The guitar amp. So we can rock out. I want to tell you about the coolest song by the coolest band in Greenland. And this is Nanook, is the band, and the song is called Timisat Tartut, off of their first CD, and that means Dark Birds. And so, like all great rock and roll songs, it's based on a great guitar riff. And so, I think this, I think the, the riff owes something to uh, Foxy Lady by Jimi Hendrix, going way back to the 60s. So you have that... So that, that double note at the beginning. So this Timisat Tartut takes it up to the key of A. So it's. So they're going. And so Nanook plays that riff, but they go a, a, a note higher. So we have a capo on the second fret of the guitar. So we're in A. And so what I, what I find so cool about that riff is that when you play those two notes, these two notes together, rather than just let them go, you bend them. And that kicks in that intermodulation distortion. It just thickens the sound. So... Hear how that opens up the riff there. So, I heard that riff. Well, I, I got the CD with that 2009, 2010, and then that summer, Nanook was playing in the big outdoor stage in Tivoli Amusement Park in Copenhagen, Denmark. And just hearing them in soundcheck play that riff off the stage just was so inspiring to me. It just rekindled my my interest in, in music in general. I got very excited about that song. And so I can actually take you back to um, that moment. Uh, it wasn't the the sound check. It was it was on stage that night. They came on to play that song, and I recorded it. Now I, I I would play their actual version of it on CD, but I don't I don't play their music on my podcast, respecting their copyright. So here 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 I am in in Tivoli recording the uh, them on stage coming out. Uh, I think this might have been an encore last night. I'll show you what that sounds like. is that a cool riff or what? Actually, he hit the wrong fret there the first time he went through. But I guess we're all human. So when I went to make my own version of this song, I decided to change the riff a little bit and um, just, to, just to do something different. And I, I can't sing it at that high key. I'm not, I can't sing it in any key, really, but to have a chance of trying to sing, I had to go back down to A. And so, so my version goes. And I, I, instead of the the distorted electric guitar, I use acoustic guitar. So, so here's my version of Timisat Tartut.
2: I put it on a high shelf and To make a nice little phone, don't need. So I just don't say nothing at all. To make a let
1: That is Tim Tartut. And as to the lyrics, they're just two verses and one chorus. And they are translated on the C D and they say, the name of the song is Dark Birds. First verse, they are stiff as frozen up there. My life is altered again. My body is getting colder within as if it is getting empty. Chorus, dark birds, where are thou landing? Our dear country is darkening. Second verse, please, please, little bird, show me, lead me to a new life, lead me to a brighter world. And the chorus is repeated, dark birds, where are thou landing? Our dear country is darkening.
0: Well, folks, that brings us to the end of another fascinating episode of the Dubcast with Dubside. Before we sign off, I want to take a moment to thank each and every one of you for tuning in. We really appreciate your comments, suggestions, and likes. Your feedback keeps us motivated and inspired to bring you the content that you enjoy. So please let us know what you think. You can email us at dubcastwithdubside at gmail.com or leave a comment on my YouTube channel. So until next time, This is Andrew signing off. See you on the next episode of the Dubcast with Dubside.